Hello and welcome to another installment of Bar Talk Podcast, bringing you everything you need to know about law via discussions, interviews, and news updates. to a special Law Day edition of the Omaha Bar Association Bar Talk Podcast. I'm Dave Summers, Executive Director of the OBA, and I have the pleasure of sitting down to talk with our Robert M. Spire Public Service Award winner for 2019, Professor Mike Fenner of Creighton Law School. Hello, Professor. Hi, Dave. Now, Professor, uh, many listeners to our podcasts um, know you from your decades of lunches with Fenner, breakfast with Fenner before it was a lunch um, that you've done for a very long time for OBA members. For those who weren't able to attend your one this year, I think you had a, a theme associated with um, Wizard of Oz, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> a look behind the green curtain. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we actually we recorded that for uh, CLE purposes, so I think people can go to the OBA page and, and take a look at that. Um, I know everyone in attendance really enjoyed themselves. You're at, you're at the 29th, I believe. Uh, so hopefully we're, we're going to get you back uh, to make that at least 30 uh, next year. It always seems silly to me to pay attention to numbers with zeros at the end. They're no different than the number before it or after it, but <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll at least come back once more. <laughs> Very good. Um, so uh, as our Robert M. Spire Public Service Award for 2019. You you really stood out from from the crop of people that that were uh, also nominated with you, but uh, for what you've done over your career with the bar associations, both OBA and NSBA, um, with your leadership in the community when questions are asked about legal issues, you know you're always on on call with the Omaha World Herald or the local news to to dis- discuss in more detail and educate uh, members of the public on legal issues. What's the, why do you have this, uh, this teaching um, gene in you? How did, how did you get to want to teach others about the law? That doesn't seem to come naturally to, to a lot of us, but uh, can, you, can you take us back and, and tell us why, why teaching? I had a lot of really lousy teachers in grade school and high school, and when I got and, and I had good teachers in, in college at the University of Kansas, but I, I was so unused to good teaching and so unused to paying attention and that, that uh, I didn't do as well as I wish I had. When I got to law school, it just clicked in, and I had two really terrific law professors. And I thought that that looked like something that was very interesting. But I wanted to get out of the Midwest for a while to see if I, I grew up in St. Joe, Missouri, and went to the University of Kansas, and then went to UMKC. I wanted to get out of the Midwest to see if I could be happy living in the Midwest the rest of my life. So I went to the Justice Department in uh, headquarters in D.C. as a trial attorney, and I loved that job. But we had our first child. There was no metro in D.C. We didn't know how to raise her in an apartment in the middle of town, and so we did. We did this sort of. Uh, cost-benefit, we did this analysis of what is it, my wife 
her what she was doing was transferable and it was a different time back then uh, so we did this you know what is it that I really love what's my passion and I figured out that my what we both figured out together was my passion was being in school and so I found a way to stay in school yeah. for the rest of my career and never looked back I've loved every job I've had driving trucks working in warehouses working in grocery stores um, practicing law at the Justice Department what a thrill that was uh, but this is the job that I that yeah. I really love was it a straight um, shot from Justice Department to Creighton or yes. did you teach somewhere else in between no okay. we, we came here partly because we had the first grandchild on either side of the family my parents were in St. Joseph, Missouri. Anne's were in a suburb of Kansas City. We wanted to be close to the grandparents, close enough so that they could have be involved in our kids' lives, but not be in the same city. Mm -hmm. And it worked just as we had planned. One one set of grandparents were very active in our kids' lives, and the other set wasn't. Yeah, right. Um, and so, over the you've been teaching here now been over 40 years. Over 40 years. This conclusion of this year will be, I think, my 46th year. Do you happen to have the short list of the classes that you've you've taught over, over that period? Do you, do you know? Uh, when I came here, well, I was hired to come here, and then uh, Dean Franchino called me, and he said, say, would you like to teach constitutional law? And I said, really? There's nobody on the faculty who wants to <laughs> teach constitutional law? And he said, well, that's right. And I said, oh, I would love to. That's the course, that's, that would be my favorite thing to do. So I started teaching constitutional law. Because I had been a, a trial lawyer, I started teaching evidence and I started a, teaching a, a trial advocacy class. Mm -hmm. And uh, at some point I developed a free speech class and uh, I got out of trial advocacy and was doing con law evidence and I'm sorry, my mother always said it's constitutional law. <laughs> constitutional law, evidence, and uh, the freedom of speech class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the freedom of speech is, is relevant because uh, the Law Day lunch is where we're going to be uh, giving you the award, and the topic this year, selected by the American Bar Association, is free speech, free press, free society, um, which that those those three things alone are are very important and the law day rule of law um, focusing on that and focusing on a specific detail of the rule of law is important every year from from your perspective as somebody who's taught this at the highest levels for, for a very long time um, why is it important to, to to appreciate how we have the free speech free press um, in our society and how important that is. The 90-second version, maybe. I have, uh, I have so many things I could say about that. Uh, Blackstone, who everybody uh, loves to quote, uh, Blackstone said uh, that the liberty of the press is indeed the essential, is indeed essential to the nature of a free state. Mm -hmm. And uh, James Madison, to bring it, to bring it home, wrote the first draft of the free press clause and he said the freedom of the press is one of the great bulwarks of liberty and it shall be invaluable mm -hmm. and then 250 years later John McCain said this is how dictators get started they call the press the enemy yeah 
Right. That didn't sit well with the president. <laughs> and and they do that. They call the press the enemy because they know the free press is the dictator's greatest enemy. It's the free press that stops wannabe dictators from living their dream. Well, okay. So let me make sure. a, sort of a personal statement about the importance of a free press. I grew up in St. Joseph, Missouri, um, and I don't know how I would have known about the war in Vietnam when I was too young to be drafted. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I would have known about the war in Vietnam without a free press. I don't know how I would have known about the treatment of African Americans. Uh, I, I wouldn't have, how would I have known about the Civil Rights Movement without a free press? When Walter Cronkite went on the air and said, we're not going to win in Vietnam, that, that was huge. Mm -hmm. and, and it affected uh, everything regarding the war in Vietnam after that. Uh, when we saw on TV the pictures of Bull Connor in the South and his deputies, big burly strong deputies with these German shepherds straining at the leashes to get at these African American, many of them children. And, and, and when we saw the pictures of the fire hoses, I mean, the, the, it's the press that woke us up to, that woke some of us up in, in small, in white, small town America mm -hmm. to the war and to, and to civil rights. Where do you see, uh, where do you see us at right now with the freedom of press, um, freedom of speech? I, I think in terms of, um, you know, a lot of people get their news, their, their, their speeches through social media and their algorithms that control, you know, who sees what and everything like that. And, um, and with everything, or not, a lot of things going to new platforms, uh, where do you see us? Is it, is it the new frontier that's, that's wide open, that's helping us all be, you know, more free in our speech? Or is it, is it a double-edged sword? Well, it's a double-edged sword. Yes, it's helping us be more free in our speech. Um, if, if today, if you had the Pentagon Papers, uh, and you know the, the uh, administration went into court to try to stop the publication of the Pentagon Papers, and it got to the Supreme Court, and, and they lost, and so we could, they were published. But if the Pentagon Papers came up today, you just down, you just download them and, and hit send, and the world has them. Right. So you can't you can't possibly stop that. And if you could stop that, you'd just take the server and move it to some other country. Uh, so we are a lot freer to express our ideas, and that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is we're a lot freer to express our ideas about how we should hate other groups of people, mm -hmm. about uh, religious uh, intolerance and racial intolerance, ethnic intolerance. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of bad, harmful news out there. We've got live streaming of suicides. We've got live streaming in New Zealand of that of that man who massacred um, all those Muslims. There's a, there's a really dark side to the news today. In, in the past, and you know, I'm I don't I'm not one of these, you know, back in my day. But in the but in the past. The news was curated. There were editors, and and that was good news and bad news. You you had racist editors who who would publish much racist material, but you had the the, the more the larger, more widely distributed news sources mm -hmm. were were curated, and 
so you didn't get a lot of, uh, to quote someone from modern times, you didn't get a lot of fake news. What you got was facts. Right. And one of the huge problems today, when, when you look around the world, we have a president who calls the news fake news, uh, except, except for Fox. He's, he said that they're reliable. And so we've got dictators all over the world who are now saying, now using that fake news. Right, right. And I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to pile on a gripe at all, but it seems to me that one of the the pitfalls has become the um, editorial editorializing of facts of of news that maybe has has come to play more so in in recent times, where uh, what could be you know one person's opinion or maybe even done for entertainment purposes is, is sort of shown as as facts as news. And so the line has sort of blurred between, all right, I'm telling you my opinion and, and what, or just the facts. Or so. what Kellyanne Conway says, alternative facts. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, we're living in an alternative world with alternative facts sometimes. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and sometimes it, you just want to stay under the covers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so. So one thing that uh, I think shouldn't be a surprise to anybody listening to this, um, because they they followed uh, the recent news that that you are uh, wrapping up your professorship here at Creighton at the end of the year. You're, you're retiring at the end of the spring semester, correct? That's correct. Um, and and I'm smiling my way out. <laughs> what what? Uh, and it's got nothing to do with right here. Right. You have things to do. You have you have uh, you have grandchildren to see and. And places things to, to go, do. trips, grandchildren, trips. Uh, all I'm really going to miss is the students. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the, some of the faculty, but I, you know, I can see them. But I, 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 there are two things about this job that that really stand out to me, and and one of them is, although I've worked hard at this job, put in a lot of hours, I have enough flexibility. That I can be with my kids, I can coach their teams, I can I can arrange my schedule so that I can take them places or or attend their events. But and and the other is uh, the students. I've 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 loved all my students, and uh, many of them have become some of my best friends. The other thing that I was afraid of, uh, or not afraid of, but concerned about, is having a place to go. Mm -hmm. And the the good people at McGill, Gottsteiner, Workman, and Lepp have said to me, well, hey, we got an empty office. Why don't you just come out here and set up and do what you do, and we'll come in sometimes and ask you a question. Sure. So I'm really appreciative uh, of that, mm -hmm. and and that's a big a big relief. And mm -hmm. and I will continue to do the civil pattern jury instructions. Mm -hmm. Good. I will continue to do some consulting. Um, I will finish some articles that I've been working on, and I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll finally be able to finish the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> Good luck on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've you've been in an up council position with McGill for a, a few years, right? That that's been a relationship that you've had. Uh, Steve McGill and Jim Coley started their own law firm, and they were they had way too much work. That, than they could handle, and so and they didn't want to bring in a whole lot of people right out of law school, 
And so Ron Volkmer uh, was of counsel with them, and Ron said, "Well, you ought to get, you ought to ask Fenner to come." And so uh, it was just a few years, a few years after I got here that I became of counsel with them, and and I would do some things for them, uh, with them, in the summer, and sometimes during the year, but mostly just in the summer. So yeah, I've had a relationship with them for I don't know 40 years. Yeah. Well, um, it's. It, it, we're very happy that you're you're continuing on in a role with them and and still being around and I'm sure that your former students uh, will will make sure to stop by and uh, keep you busy over there. You may have more work than you than you than you want. Um, so now you you talk about your your family. You have uh, East Coast and West Coast, right? Right. Our daughter lives in Montecito, California, which is right across the street from Santa Barbara. And, our, and her office is uh, down coast a bit in Ventura, California, Patagonia. And our son lives in Arlington, Virginia, and his, he's a lawyer. Uh, they're both lawyers. He lives in Arlington, Virginia, and works uh, in, a, in an office in downtown D.C. And uh, from the balcony where his office is, you can see the building where I worked <laughs> when I was at the Justice Department. D.C.'s changed a little bit from when you were there, right? Yes. <laughs> One thing hasn't changed. The minute school's out all over the country, yeah. the place fills up with right. families with children. That's right. That's right. Um, so he's he's an Indian lawyer. Okay. And all they do, all his firm does, is represent Native Americans, mostly tribes. And he loves his work. And our daughter's the uh, vice president, general counsel of Patagonia, and she loves her work. What a great corporation that is. Speaks well that your children followed in your footsteps into being lawyers. That's th sometimes that doesn't always work. They see what what mom or mom or dad was doing and said, oh, "I'm not, I'm not going to be that." But yeah, well, that's <laughs> what our son said. Yeah, <laughs> you but he changed well. his mind. Yeah. He was interested in some sort of public service, and he when he then he and he worked uh, for Section Eight Housing in Boulder, Colorado, and it dawned on him. I mean, it became clear to him that. Um, he he was all the in just a few years he was you know like second in command in that office and the first in command wasn't going to leave and and uh, he decided that he could better serve people as a lawyer so yeah. he went to law school. So you were state bar president, uh, Nebraska State Bar Association president, and uh, if I may say, I was the state bar president the year that they took away our money. You you were th you were there in crisis mode um, because. Because of the uh, the Lautenbach op opinion, um, can you can you speak a little bit about how important the work of the state bar is, and and why? I guess also you know why why did you take on that role? That's that was a that was a big role, not just because of the the um, state bar unifying, but just just you know that is a lot of work to be state bar president why did you well I will on? say this uh, they weren't de we weren't deunified until after I became the president <laughs> right. um, the and let me also say this I it, it, it would not have been possible for me to be so successful as the state bar president if Liz Neely hadn't become the new executive director so you had a brand new state bar president a brand new executive director uh, at coming in at the same time, and Liz Neely is just terrific. She's as good an executive director as you are. 
at the OBA. <laughs> Even better, because she she has a much larger um, a larger mission and, and work than I do. That's for sure. Um, so your your year, I mean, it was it was a change, but also the the core foundation of what the bar does. I mean, that wasn't going to change. You know what what they were doing, Correct. just with less, right? Yep. Yeah. For me. Uh, it turned out to be a great experience. I, I, I have asked my, I did ask myself that question a few times that you just asked, why did I do, take this on? But for me, it was a real growth. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a, an independent contractor on a salary here. I'm a tenured law professor, um, and I, I, my, what I do is kind of just, just for me to decide, and um, I fell into a position where I had to manage a lot of people. I had to create I had to create committees to see what we're gonna what are we gonna do next. Do we stay under the control of the Supreme Court but deunified, or do we split off and form our own independent association? Uh, what a, the the money that's that was already in the pot, who does that belong to? Uh, we, we had a whole lot of, of of issues and so I had to create a bunch of committees and mm -hmm. And uh, and kind of manage those, but I managed to create committees with good enough chairs that I didn't that they were able to manage it. And it was very helpful to me to have come out of this job because I know so many lawyers, mm -hmm. and I have a good feeling about a lot of lawyers uh, about who you can ask to do something, and they will actually do it, right. and they will do it well. Right. And so I was able to put a lot of good people in charge of these committees. And I would say maybe your your teaching experience allows you to look big picture. You, you, you have that ability to, to step back and, and think organizationally maybe better than uh, than some because of uh, the work you, you've done for so long to... Yes, and, you know. and, and there's another related thing, I think, and, and uh, this was pointed out to me by the Chief Justice. He said, uh, it's the, the bar president has lunch with the chief once a month, and, and he said, "Mike, we're uh, we're glad you're the president this year." <laughs> and I said, "Well, uh, thanks, <laughs> no thanks." And and the reason was, I'm not a plaintiff's trial lawyer. Right. I'm not a defendant's trial lawyer. I'm not a business litigator. I'm not an estate planner. Right. I'm not, and, and so. By and large, people aren't going to look at me and say, "Well, he's just favoring the plaintiff's bar because that's." That's what he's part of. Sure, I had I, I came to that position with an independence from from being categorized uh, that most lawyers who are bar end up well. I think most every other bar president fits into one of those categories. I there's there's I'm the only academic bar president in the history of this bar. Yeah, maybe elsewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for for all that. Um, that you've done and continue to do with the, the state bar and obviously the local local bar association, Omaha Bar Association. Um, I I I'm, I was very excited when we found the uh, the number to be uh, closer to thirty. This was a couple of years ago when we were going through all the all the titles of of the lunches with Fenner and back to one of his breakfasts with Fenner and there was one title that was in, an entire page of conversation with you and the former executive director Marty Kornick it was so I couldn't find an exact title it was just just a 
Marty says, you say, oh, you know, let, let's set this up, let's do this. And, um, but it's, you didn't have to, to go and, and be so active in the Bar Association, and we are, we are thankful and we are better off for it, so thank you for that. Well, I, I, I like lawyers, and I feel that uh, part of what comes along with this job, my job as a law professor, is service. Mm -hmm. We have time for service, and a lot of practicing lawyers don't, or they, at least they feel they don't. Yeah. And my service uh, early on was uh, to the bar, among other things, but uh, Rod Skolnick got me involved in the bar, had me run for the House of Delegates, and I just love going to those meetings. I love the people. I've, I've met lawyers from all over the state, lawyers who didn't go to Creighton and I didn't know. I met some wonderful men and women. And so I just stayed with it and eventually they said, why don't you be, why don't you be president? <laughs> but and, and I wasn't forward looking enough to say, well, I'll do that if you can get the court to promise not to take away our money. Um, and and, and I, I, one lawyer emailed me and said, well, I'm not joining the voluntary bar and here's why. So I, I emailed him back and I said, well, you know, there's this. I mean, that's right. I, somehow politely I said that's really not 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 true. You've been misled. Mm -hmm. And he wrote me back and said, "Well, okay, but then there's this." And so I wrote him back, and, <laughs> and then he wrote me a third time, and and maybe a fourth time. And finally, the final email I got was, "Well, I've sent in my check today." <laughs> <laughs> wow, so I, good job. I, so I wouldn't I, stop before that. <laughs> I emailed Liz Neely and I said, "Liz, I'm getting them. I'm keep. I'm getting them back one person at a time." <laughs> But, but everybody, uh, you know, people, uh, well, people, part of my mission was people deserve to be able to to uh, file their complaints with me and have me treat them kindly and seriously. Mm -hmm. And that was a big part of my job. And I, I, I don't know if people always understand um, members of the bar or, or maybe people that have chosen not to become members of the state bar with uh, additional dues is is the work that that was done uh, when it was unified to deunified it, it still continues and and it's one of those things that uh, it's a lot of it is for the betterment of the profession but you know attorneys are doing things for people who can't afford it you know the volunteer lawyers project all that and if if we don't support the bar association they still have to do it but they don't have the resources to do it as well as they can do it otherwise. Well, and, and, they, and they'd have to cut some things. Yeah. They'd have to cut NLAP. They'd have to cut the Volunteer Lawyers Program. They'd have to cut uh, continuing legal education. Yeah. Uh, they, they, there are uh, lots of services that the Bar Association provides to uh, lawyers who are not in the larger communities. Mm -hmm. uh, there, th this uh, casemaker is is really a uh, a huge thing for a lot of lawyers because with the voluntary dues it's free mm. and it for many lawyers it's it's more than they need right. they don't need Westlaw or Lexis right uh, you know if you're just a in a small three-person firm with with a certain specialties mm. uh, you, you this free service is just terrific yeah and it it alone pays for the dues yeah yeah, it's 
it, I, I, I tell everybody, join the State Bar Association, join, you know, join them all, um, because the work that the State Bar is doing is, is tremendous. I'm impartial to what we do at the Omaha Bar. But I think you get out uh, certainly what you, you, you pay uh, into the association. Um, let's switch gears for a second and, and talk a bit about your teaching. Um, one of the highlights that people know you for is, is bringing in Justice Thomas um, to, to come and do a short, shorter class. It's maybe well, six he, weeks, he's the, four the weeks? class is a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. uh, two weeks and, a, and two days. And I do the first week and two days. Mm -hmm. And then he comes in and we team teach uh, for a week. Mm -hmm. He stays here a week, offices here mm -hmm. a week. And, well, and I know that the, the main reason they signed up for that class was not to hear me again. So, <laughs> so when I say team teach, we, it is team teaching, but mostly it's, it's him. Sure. And that came about because his wife was a student of mine, and we became friends. And she, she was very conservative even then, but she would this is the office she would come to to, uh, to talk about things. And, and so when she met him, oh, th my wife and I got a letter from her, and she just she was, it was just a kind of a casual. We we get le we got letters for her back from her back in the day before we had other means of communicating, and, and this was just another one of those kind of casual letters. But it talked a lot about this man she had met, and we read the letter, and I said to Anne. Uh, I think there's something going on here that she hasn't quite yet figured out. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out to be Clarence Thomas. So they had a uh, wedding party here, a, a pre-nuptial reception, whatever you call And uh, Justice Thomas and I ended up, back then he was just Clarence, we ended up out on the screened-in porch for about a half an hour just talking and had a great time. And, uh, and we became friends. So one day we're in Kansas City. This man has a terrific memory. One day we're in Kansas City at an Eighth Circuit Judicial Conference and we're walking down the hall, Ann and I are, and he's coming the other way with his posse, mm -hmm. the marshals. And so he stops and we talk and, and uh, he said, well, let's have, let's have breakfast in the morning. I said, okay, so we met for breakfast. By the way, we met for breakfast down in the hotel dining room and after breakfast, uh, I became way more popular with, with a lot of the other federal judges. <laughs> sure. Um, so we, at breakfast he said, well, why don't you invite me to come up to Creighton and teach a class? And I just, I laughed and I said, well, I have the power to do that, <laughs> I think. So I came back and I told Pat Borchers, who was the dean, yeah. what had happened. And Pat said, oh, that's, that's great. We, uh, we'll have to take this by the curriculum committee but if they don't approve it, you and I will both resign. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, okay, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> he has had former clerks who've gone to teach somewhere mm -hmm. and have wanted to have him come. He comes here every other year, so on the off year, he sometimes goes someplace else, uh, who, have, who have wanted him to come and, and do this same thing. And uh, he, he always has him call me to kind of talk about how it's done. And I say, you're gonna love this. And, and many of them say, well, we have to get it by the curriculum committee first. <laughs> and some of them don't. The really? The curriculum committee votes it down. That, 
that sounds crazy to me. I well, it sounds crazy to me, too, that you, you have an opportunity to have a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. Whether you agree with his jurisprudence or not, you have an opportunity to have him come and stay a week and and be with students, and that's that's what he does. Be, he, he, he goes to dinner with students. He comes for a potluck with students. He has breakfast with students. Uh, in and out of the classroom, he's with students. And It'd be the same as if you, well, we don't have any real wild liberals on the court anymore, but it'd be the same thing if you had a chance to have, you know, Earl Warren come and and said, no, we don't want him, he's too liberal. Yeah. Well, you'd, you'd think that um, law school, of all places, should be a place of open dialogue with, with all viewpoints, right? You'd think so. <laughs> um, so... Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what you like to do outside of work. What you know, you you, you like to teach. You you do all these things, but uh, you you've you've been known to golf on occasion. You've been known to uh, in, enjoy art um, installations and and film streams, right? And you and uh, Anne do a lot of. Anne and I both love movies. Mm -hmm. We're extremely compatible in that regard, and. Uh, I do play golf. Some, some would say I don't play well, but my attitude's good. I, I'm willing to not to spend ten minutes looking for a ball. I'm willing to let the ball go. You're not at the Terry Anderson level of golf. <coughs> oh God, no. <laughs> or the Eric Pearson level. <laughs> um, and uh, I will, I will read more fiction. Yeah. After I retire, we'll uh, every summer for eleven years we've been going to California for six or eight weeks, and uh, now we'll be able to go in February instead. That's a perfect time to be in yeah. California. Yeah. Uh, and I plan on my golf game getting better now that I have more time to play, but of course I've planned on my golf game getting better every year since I took it up, and that hasn't worked out so well. But Optimism is always good when it comes yes. to a golf game, that's for yeah. sure. Um, so I, this is a, a, a very wide um, question here, but people listening to the podcast, attorneys, um, judges, what what advice, looking back on your, um, you know, your career, what advice do you have for somebody, you know, a younger attorney maybe, let's say, or older attorneys, what advice do you have, looking back on it now, knowing what you know now, what, what, what do you have to say to them? I think that uh one of the most important things is working with people who you really like to work with. And that's been the case here. Uh, I've enjoyed coming into work because of, of almost everyone who I work with here, a including Pat Anderson, our faculty secretary. Mm. God, she's great. Um, and I think that if if you're not passionate about what you're doing, which I am, fortunately, which my son is, our son is, because he's doing good for people who've been trampled on for a long time, and, and which our daughter is because of the ethic of Patagonia, their, their environmental causes, their child care, uh, and, uh, and the quality of their products. I, if, if you don't have some passion not every day has to be passionate for you, but if you don't have some passion, 
you might want to think about doing something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Find, find a practice area, if nothing else, if you're not in the right practice area. Yeah. 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 Or, well, you know, one of my favorite lawyers was a lawyer in, in a huge firm and uh, just got tired of it and left the practice of law and opened Mark's in, in our neighborhood. So Not a bad I'm little thankful, bistro there. <laughs> I'm, thankful that, I'm thankful that she left the practice of law and started a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Um, who are Best outdoor seating in town. Love it with the trees and everything yeah. like that and the lighting. Um, great place to enjoy the days that we're having now. It's days. a great place to eat outdoors in more or less solitude and then La Bouvette's a great place to eat outdoors it, with all that hustle Everybody. and bustle of the market <laughs> watch people walk by. Um, who who would you put as your um, your heroes, your um, you know, the, the top of the list for attorneys or professors um, <coughs> or judges in the profession that, that you've uh, looked up to and, and tried to emulate as, as best you could? Well, the first is my one of my law professors, Charles Purcell, who taught torts. He was a great teacher and a, and a great human being. The second is I was a law clerk at Shokardi. And I worked with two people there one of whom I won't name, and the other was John Dodds. And John Dodds was great to work with. He was a real mentor and a, and a really a terrific person. We had a, he had a hearing in southern Missouri. Uh, there was a case that he asked me to help him with, and so I wrote a whole lot of stuff for him. And he had an, an in-chambers hearing in, in southern Missouri and on this case, and he said, uh, you come with me. And so we flew down there. And there was no charge to the client or, or to me. We just flew down there because it was an important part of my education. I, 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 that man was great. Mm -hmm. um, once I got here, I, you know, if I start naming people, then, <laughs> That's true. then Bob Rosser will get mad at me for not naming him. But, <laughs> but I would name uh, Lyle Strom and John Burke, two judges. Lyle, of course, federal judge, and John, a, a local judge. John is the one who got me involved on the Supreme Court Committee of Practice and Procedure. He's the one who uh, got me involved in what ended up being my doing the pattern jury instructions for civil cases. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's been a huge learning experience for me, doing that work. And they, they're both, well, John was and Lyle still is, they're both wonderful people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We have a special and, I, and I had the daughter of, of um, each one of them had a daughter who was a student of mine. I believe both uh, are past recipients of the Robert Inspired Public Service Award as well. So uh, you've you've followed them uh, to the top award for the Omaha Bar Association, which we're so happy to uh, to be presenting you at Law Day this year. And um, I I really do appreciate this conversation. You are the the first um, Creighton. Uh, person that I met when I came to town, first class uh, out of the gate uh, with you in 2009. So uh, it is a d very distinct pleasure and honor to uh, to be sitting here with you today and having this conversation and uh, to have the Omaha Bar Association give me this award. So we are thankful for that and thank you for the time today. Well, I and you are every. This is not news to anybody listening, but you you are a great director of this uh, of the Omaha Bar Association 
Um, yeah. You've you've really uh, done a lot of innovative things, and uh, it, it's it's difficult, more difficult now than it was in the past to get new lawyers interested in associations, and mm -hmm. you've done a lot of things to make that happen. So we're awfully lucky to have you. Thank you. Thank you. The the Mutual Adm Admiration Society here. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of my heroes are lawyers who are ex who are extraordinarily good, and they could be making a whole lot of money doing something else, right. and 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 they're not. Yeah. Uh, people like Tommy Riley and 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 people like you, Dave Stickman, Tommy Riley, uh, Don Klein. Yeah. And you're on that list too. Well, <laughs> I, I appreciate that and. Um, Don Klein won won the award last year, or re received the award last year, um, and Tom Riley's been been doing it for close to 40, 40 years, I think, right? I mean, he's been he's been um, he got, at he, least at, in that office. When he got out of law school, he was in that office, and yeah. then he became the head of it. And and that office has expanded. Both offices have, have expanded um, tremendously over the years. I, oh yeah, you know, um, public defenders up over fifty. Now we're around 50, um, and I think county attorneys got to be 80 uh, deep over there. They're they're running out of space, that's for sure. But the work they do is so important, both sides, and uh, and they lead it very well. Well, and they are good mentors. All the students that I talk to who have clerked there or who or who go there for for uh, you know permanent employment mm -hmm. talk about uh, the federal and, and and county public defenders and and the uh, and Don Klein and as great mentors to them. Yeah, it's it, it's important to have good people in those very uh, key positions because, boy, we could go in the wrong direction if, if we had the wrong people in charge of those. So um, very fortunate for that. Well, um, I I will uh, I, I will not take any more of your time, Professor. But we do appreciate it when we'll see you on May first at Lottie. Okay. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you.